thank you. It is a great privilege for me to be here and to share with you from God's Word what it says to us this morning. And it is also my great privilege to have been in both Babaoyo and Calacali, and now Hernando, Mississippi, as we would say, from Ecuador. But I am from here in Jackson, so I've been through Hernando lots of times. Good to be here again. Good to be here with God's Word open. This book does not contain God's Word. This book is God's Word. And as we come to His Word this morning, I would just challenge us to come with hearts prepared what God might say to us as we open it. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for your pastoral leadership that this mission's emphasis is a part of your church calendar. It's great to have a pastor and a pastoral team with vision because without a vision, the people perish. It's also true without a people, the vision perishes. So it's a great blessing to him and to the pastoral team to have you and to have your support for missions and to be able to say we have actually sent out missionaries from here who have gone out to the world. But here we are again, and I wonder what God might say to us this morning as we look into his word. This morning, even as we're here in this beautiful place on this beautiful day, so much of our world, over 2,000 millions of people sit in darkness, never heard the gospel. Many of them never even heard Jesus' name. That's over half of the people groups in the world made up of that third of the world's population. Never heard the gospel. Even though we have it in our hands, we've listened to it all of our lives, they've still not heard the truth. And God is calling out people to go and to tell them. And some of you might say to me, well, I hope they hear today. I hope God will call some and send them out there. And oftentimes we kind of excuse ourselves. We have lots of reasons why we should not be involved in missions. Why we should not be involved in answering God's call. I want us to think about a call from God to one of his choice servants. We see it in the Bible in a place you normally don't think about when you think about missions. I want you to look in your Bibles all the way back to Exodus and to the third chapter. We're not going to read the whole passage today because it's a long one. It goes from Exodus 3.1 all the way through chapter 4 and verse 12. We're not going to go that far, but we're going to look at some select verses. But I would think in a church, a great church like this, with the background and the heritage that you have, you would know this story well of how Moses was chosen by God, used by him to bring the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh. Now, just to kind of set up the story a little bit, you remember this was a period of time when Israel had suffered greatly. They're in captivity. And Pharaoh had decided that all of the boy babies among the Jews would be killed. And even though Moses had been thrown into the water, Pharaoh's own daughter had kind of fished him out and had raised him in the court of Pharaoh. He had the best education you can possibly imagine. He grew up in the very court of Pharaoh, but when he was an adult, he chose to identify with the people of God and in so doing wound up murdering an Egyptian. So he had to flee as a fugitive. And now here he is, an old man. He's about 80 now. He was about 40 when he killed the Egyptian. 
And now he's been out in the wilderness for about 40 years. And the Bible tells us in the very first couple of verses of chapter 3 that he is keeping his father-in-law's flocks. Now that's instructive for us. If we think about that kind of a culture, why is an 80-year-old man caring for somebody else's flocks? He should have his own animals by now. But if we consider the context of the cultures of the day, it's even more instructive when we remember, remember remember how when Joseph got reunited with his brothers and he was introducing them to Pharaoh, and he said, now look, when you go up to him, tell him that we, your servants, are shepherds. And that way, you'll get to go and live in the land of Goshen because shepherds and shepherding are abhorrent to the Egyptians. And yet, Moses had been brought up in that kind of a culture. So for him, even keeping flocks would be like the prodigal son keeping pigs, in a sense. And he's not even keeping his own flocks. He's having to keep those of his father-in-law. So Moses has sunk very low from being in the court of Pharaoh all the way to where he is now. And in the midst of that kind of a situation, the Lord speaks to him out of a burning bush, just a plain old burning bush. Surely Moses had seen bushes burn before, but he'd never seen one that didn't burn up. So that called his attention, and he walks over there, and as he gets closer, the Lord says to him through this burning bush to take off the sandals from your feet because the place where you're standing is holy ground. So let's ask ourselves a couple of things as we get started. Number one, is our approach to the very words of God sufficiently humble or might we figuratively need to take our shoes off our feet in other words do we need to remind ourselves again this morning that this is God's word that we're studying and secondly let's ask ourselves what thing God might use in your life to speak to you whether it's something strange like a burning bush in the middle of the wilderness or something strange like some missions professor from Louisville Kentucky But whatever it is, God might be speaking to somebody even here this morning. Now, if you look down into verses 7 and the first part of verse 8, we're beginning to get into the part that I want us to study. Because here in this passage, we see that God is the one who is in charge of the mission that he's calling us to do. God is the one rescuing his people. Look at this where it says, verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So since there's a third of our world sitting in darkness that's never heard the gospel, and much, much more of the world that maybe they've heard the gospel, but they've never been discipled to really understand it. What might God say today? You know, it is a tragedy that the world is unreached. But the great tragedy of the world is not that it's unreached, but that it's undiscipled. It doesn't know how to apply God's word to their lives, and so they sit in darkness for other reasons. What might God say? I wonder if he would say today, I have heard heard the cries of the people living in the kinds of lifestyles that they have. And I've come down to rescue from bondage to Satan and to deliver them and to bring them into a broad land, into the promised land. 
And I wonder if he might call somebody here just as he called Moses to go. A lot of people think about how hard it would be to go to a place like Iraq or Iran or to go to a place like Somalia where the average life expectancy of a new believer is about 45 days or to go to a place like Bolivia or Ecuador and to leave the land of Walmart and to leave the 7th Infantry and to leave good medical care and to leave all of the blessings that we have here to expose our children to tropical diseases. I know it's difficult. My, uh, we were missionaries in Ecuador. My son is a missionary in Cuenca. And even worse, he has three of my grandchildren with him down there in Cuenca. It's a difficult thing to think about leaving and going. And the people are hard. They don't want to hear what you have to say. But God is able to save. He can save anyone, anywhere, any when, And he can use any one of us in the process. In verses 19 and 20, Moses was kind of thinking that way. How is God going to change Pharaoh's heart? God admits, he says, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. God knows what he's going to do in the world. And he knows those that he's going to use in the process. And he knows how they're going to respond. God knows the present and he knows the future. If anybody tells you he doesn't, you should watch them closely because they will lie to you about other things. God doesn't just know the future. He knows the potential future. The Bible tells us a time when David said, Lord, if I do this, will the people turn me over? And God said they will. So David didn't do it. God knew what would happen if David had done a certain thing. And God knows all the details of your life. He knows the details of the lives of the people on the mission fields where he might send you. And he knows what he can do. And he knows the changes that he can bring about. You say, but I know that God can use other people. But what you don't know, being this preacher from Louisville, Kentucky, is a little bit about my past. See, I've made a couple of decisions. And I've made a couple of actions in my life that kind of preclude me from being able to be used by God like that. Don't be so sure. Back in the days in our country when you had to go to seminary in order to go into the ministry, there was a young man who felt called to the ministry. He knew that's what God had for his life. And so he went to the seminary that existed at that time. But it was a situation where the seminary had gone very liberal. In fact, some of the professors weren't even believers who were teaching in this seminary. And this godly young man was speaking with a friend in the hallway, and he just said casually to his friend, speaking of another professor, he said, well, that professor doesn't have any more grace than that chair. Well, back in those days, it was considered ugly to say something bad about your professor. And so it got back to the professor, and they kicked him out of school. Well, that was a big deal. You couldn't just go to another school. There wasn't another school for his denomination, and you couldn't go in the ministry without the school. So his life was over. He appealed to get back in. He publicly apologized for a, for a private conversation, but it didn't get him back in. Other people appealed to get this man back into school, and it didn't happen. So the life that he knew God had called him to do, he felt was over. And so he took his Bible. He just went out into the woods. He started preaching to the Indians, and he kept a diary while he was doing that. It was such a harsh life out there. He actually died early. 
in a death that was hastened by the harsh conditions. But that diary that he kept, even though he died a very young man, was taken and it was published by the great Jonathan Edwards. And it became a great book, The Life and Diary of David Brainerd. And we still use that book in seminary today. And in fact, when William Carey, the father of modern missions, left England sailing to India, along with his Bible, one of the books that he took was that book of David Brainerd. It had had such a profound impact on his life in calling him to missions. God used David Brainerd in a way he could have never imagined. Don't be too quick to excuse yourself from missions because of something in your past. God is greater than all of your past. Somebody might say to me, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. I know what he has done, and I know the kinds of people that he has used, and he can use me. I assure you that he can use you. In fact, he can use the least resource out there. Look in chapter 3, verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Look at chapter 4, the first few verses. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. Moses ran from it. I would too. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. Now, a lot of the people who say no to God when he first begins to speak to them aren't necessarily people without faith any more than Moses was a person without faith. We see Moses' great faith right here because when you reach down and you take a snake by the tail, the business end is still loose, right? Moses knew that. And yet he did it, and God turned it back into his staff. And God says, I can use anything to bring out my people. Now, a shepherd's staff was just a stick. Three to six foot long, had a curved a hook at the top. Shepherds used it for guiding their sheep, for killing snakes, for walking down the mountain pathways. But at the end of the day, it was just a stick. Ordinary. And God loves to use the ordinary to do extraordinary things. What's that in your hand? Is it, is it a computer? Is it the ability to cook? Can you write letters? Is it a musical instrument? Is it a checkbook? What is it that you have that you consider just ordinary that God could use to impact the nations? Ordinary things in our lives God can use. See, the Great Commission is not just an option to consider. Hudson Taylor said the Great Commission is not an option to consider. It is a commandment to obey. Go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. That falls to every single one of us. Our great Baptist hero, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, used to say that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. What did he mean by that? Did he mean we have to sell the farm and go off to the other side of the world? No, he didn't. Well, what did he mean? 
I think he was probably using a very broad definition for missionary that I don't let my students get away with. But he was using a broad definition that was like a missionary is anyone who cannot get used to the sound of pagan footsteps on their way to a Christless eternity. You see, out of that third of the world that's never heard the gospel, every day about 50,000 people go from this life into a Christless eternity. That happened yesterday. Before we went to sleep last night, about 50,000 people stepped into eternity without Christ. That will happen again today, and it will happen again tomorrow, and it will happen the day after tomorrow, and it will continue to happen until people hear God calling, and they go, and they preach the good news, and they disciple believers, and they teach those who can teach others until Jesus comes back. He can communicate through you. He can use you to share that gospel message. Even you. Moses didn't think so. In fact, in Exodus 4, verses 10 to 12, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who's made man's, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? Or seeing or blind. Is it not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth. And teach you what you shall speak. God says I can use you Moses. And if we were to continue studying. We would, might, we would probably see in the 13th verse. Basically what Moses is saying is. Here am I O Lord. Send Aaron. He wanted somebody else to go. It was too dangerous. It was a, a fearful thing. That I would go and speak to Pharaoh. Now remember. He's a fugitive wanted for murderer. Wanted for murder. In fact, it's amazing when you think about the Bible and how God uses people that most of the Bible was written by three murderers. You think about that. What is it that you have done that keeps you from being used by God? I was preaching at a missions conference one time, and a little old lady came up to me, and she said, oh, Brother David, I love that sermon about missions. I wish I could be a missionary. You know, back when I was in GAs, I felt the Lord calling me to be a missionary, but, well, you know, life kind of went on. I married old Herbert here, and, well, I've had to settle for second best the rest of my life. Oh, well, bless Herbert's heart. You know, if I was him, I might want her to think what third best looks like, but, I, you know... I, God doesn't work that way. Whatever there is in your life, if he's calling you to do something, he can make a way for you to do it. He certainly did for Moses. Missionaries, short-term, long-term career, oftentimes excuse themselves because they, they don't speak Spanish or they don't speak whatever language they might need to know. And I did terrible in high school Spanish, they might say. I take a lot of teams of people and we go and we train pastors around the world through a ministry I have called Reaching and Teaching. And we go and we train pastors. I, I take church members. I take pastors. I take seminary students. I take professors. I take whoever wants to go because if you could teach Sunday school here, you could teach pastors there. And we go and we do that. But so many times people say, well, I'd love to do that, but I don't speak the language. There are ways around all of that. If God is calling you, your answer is, well, what about not, it should not be, what about this and what about that? It should be, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? All the excuses we might have sound good to us now. You ask Jonah when you get home how that works out. When God calls and you say no, God will have his way. 
The question that falls to us is, when he calls, how will we respond? Every single one of us has a task, has a role, has a place in missions. Now, I'm not one of those kind of guys who wants to twist your arm behind your back and make you go to the mission field. Because if I do that, if I preach some kind of sermon to guilt you over there, I'm going to have to go with you and keep guilting you there to keep you there. That's not what I want to do. I think the highest and best use of your life. In fact, I wrote a, a book a few years ago called The Missionary Call. And one of the things that I'd said in there, uh, Moody Publishers pulled out and put it on the back cover of the book because it was one of the things I emphasized throughout the book is that the highest and best use of anyone's life is to do what God's called you to do in the place where he has called you to do it. I believe that's true. If God has called you to be a housewife in Hernando, you cannot glorify him more by being martyred in Somalia. That's not what he's called you to do. But what does fall to us is to find out what is my place and then do whatever your place is. Paul says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we like that. That'll really preach. But then he began to ask a series of uncomfortable questions. He said, but how can they call on somebody they've never heard of? How can they call unless they believe? And how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone preaches? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Every person in this room, going back to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, everyone in this room is either a goer or you are a sender. Every Christian. The question is not, should I be a goer or a sender or something else? No, you're either that. You're either a goer or you're a sender. The question is, what kind of goer are you? What kind of sender are you? If you're a goer, if you've known for years that you're to be a goer, whether it's a short term or going back and forth, or whether it's to go and to stay and serve for a few years, or whether it's to go forever and ever, amen, if you know that you're a goer, be about going. And if you're a sender, what if we were in a country where it was against the law to send missionaries? It was against the law to give money to missionaries. It was against the law to say, I believe that everybody needs to hear the gospel in a culturally appropriate way. They need a missionary among them. It's against the law to believe that. And you've been accused of believing that. And the investigators brought you in and you are in this court and they lay your life out before everyone. They take all your financial records, your visa statements, your checking account, everything. They lay it out on the table. And these investigators are trying to recreate your life, looking through your financial records to try to find proof of the fact that you believe the world needs to hear the gospel. The question is, would they find enough evidence to convict you? If you are a goer, be about going. If you're a sender, be about sending. Neither is more important than the other. Neither is more biblical than the other. And neither is possible without the other. If we were all goers, well, that would be ridiculous. There would be nobody to send us. How would we go? And if we were all senders, that would be pointless. There would be no one to send. Yet in God's economy, there is a place for every single person. You might not feel the call to go. You may not be at a place right now where you can go, but you can help others to go. Everyone can pray, and everyone can give, and everyone can keep the home fires burning 
so that the world can hear the truth. Don't allow something in your past to preclude your involvement. Don't allow an inability to speak the language to keep you from being involved. When God calls, how will you respond? When we, our kids were little, we were missionaries in Ecuador back in the days pre-internet, pre-everything, pre-DVD, and we took boxes of these big old uh, VHS tapes. And one of the VHS tapes that our kids used to watch over and over was these, one of these Indiana Jones shows. And one of these Indiana Jones movies is where the, the good guy, Indiana Jones, goes into this cave looking for the Holy Grail, and the bad guy, the Nazi guy, comes in after him, and he wants to get the grail because if you drink from it, you live forever. And just as he goes in, there's this old knight Templar played by Sir Lawrence Olivier who's guarding all these grails and various options. And Sir Lawrence Olivier says, choose wisely and you'll have eternal life. But if you choose poorly, just as the right grail brings life, the wrong grail would bring instant death. And so Indiana Jones is about to grab the grail and here comes the Nazi guy, and he grabs one, and he fills it with water, and he drinks from it. And he drinks from it, and you see him getting older and older and older. And I used to shield my children's eyes because it's pretty lame now. It looks like a high school drama. But in those days, it was pretty high-tech video. And he just explodes all over the scene, right? And in the master of understatement, Sir Lawrence Olivier says, he chose poorly. The question to us this morning, when God calls, how will you answer? He's calling. You say, but I, I don't hear him calling. I read a book just recently about a man walking down the street in Manhattan. He said he had a friend of his who was a Native American guy, an Indian guy. They're walking down the street. If you've been in Manhattan, you know it's pandemonium. 800 languages are spoken every day in Manhattan. It's like Pentecost in reverse. I love it. It's a fun place. Lots of noise, horns honking, sirens, taxis squealing around the corner, people running everywhere. And this Indian friend of his says, I hear a cricket. He said, you do not hear a cricket. He said, I do, I hear a cricket. And he looked, and they're over in front of this hotel where these two big planters, the Indian guy goes in there, he reaches under the planter, and he says, see? He said, how did you do that? He said, it's easy. He said, watch this. And he reached in his pocket and he grabbed a handful of change. Now, with all of the sirens and the horns and the people running and screaming and everything else, he just dropped that change on the sidewalk and every head within 30 feet turned to see where the money came from. And he looked at his friend and he said, it just depends on what you're listening for. There's a lot of voices screaming for your attention today. Thousands everywhere. You have to get really close to Jesus to hear that still, small voice saying, this is the way. Walk in it. But when you hear it, when he calls, how will you respond? And the Lord is calling. Listen. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this challenge. We thank you that even people like us are used by you every day to change your world. I thank you, Lord, that you allow us to preach the gospel message. And I pray that even this morning from this congregation of believers that have gathered together that you would call some to give more than they've ever given before, to go with a passion that they've never known before, 
and to genuinely seek your face and seek your will to know which that is. Have your way in our hearts, Lord. Speak to us. We are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.